Well, we work with a lot of unique small businesses at the SBDC, and you might be surprised to know just how many phone calls I've gotten from entrepreneurs in the panhandle whose entire business model revolves around their employees being scantily clad. You're listening to Buff Speak, the official podcast of the Paul and Virginia Angler College of Business at West Texas A&M University. I am Dr. Nick Gerlich, your host, as we meet up with the thought leaders making an impact today. Peter Drucker once said, whenever you see a successful business, someone once made a courageous decision. It's a very astute observation, and whenever you see a successful large business, you must also remember that it started small. And while the most visible businesses in the U.S. tend to be the large ones, it's worth noting that there are 33.2 million small businesses in the U.S., or 99.9% of all American businesses. In other words, the large corporation is an outlier. Our guest today is Gina Woodward, Regional Director at America's SBDC in Amarillo. The Alphabet Soup translates to Small Business Development Center, and it is a branch of the Angler College of Business at West Texas A&M. She's also a former student of mine, one who has gone on to make a significant contribution to her field and our community. Gina, tell us about the mission of the SBDC and how did you wind up as regional director? That's a story in itself. So the, the SBDC is here to work with small business owners and entrepreneurs in the Texas panhandle to help them both start and scale businesses. Really, our, our whole mission is to help contribute to the economic viability of the panhandle, help it grow by creating new jobs and new small businesses, because that's really what keeps the panhandle thriving. And is this something you always dreamed of being, or is this just one of those things you kind of grew into by virtue of a lot of hard work? I don't know if I'd say hard work or just maybe luck. Um, I was uh, I started at the SBDC right out of college. I was a young 25-year-old and just kind of fell into the role, and I worked my way up. Had no idea, aspirations, that I would ever be the director um, and our current director, PJ Pronger, um, at the time, the current director, uh, took a promotion to our state office in Lubbock. So we had this unexpected position open. So one day I'm sitting in my office doing client work and the phone rings and I look at the color ID and it says Neil Terry, who at the time was the dean and my boss's boss. So I pick it up and I assume that he just wanted me to transfer me or transfer him over to PJ probably. And and I won't forget the first part of this conversation. He said, Gina, it's Neil Terry. I said, okay. He said, what do you think about being the director of the SBDC? And for me, it was a very awkward few seconds. It was probably only a few seconds. It felt like a few minutes because I really thought that he had probably called the wrong Gina. And I was trying to figure out how I was going to tell the dean that he had called the wrong Gina and get him to the right person. But uh, suffice it to say, it it all worked out in the end, and I'm very thankful that he saw something in me and owe him a great deal, and I can't imagine being anywhere else. Broadly speaking, what types of services do you offer to small business clients? Sure. So we really narrow it down to three main services, and that's consulting one-on-one with clients, 
training. We do lots of different workshops and then research. We've got some research services that we can pull for them to help with planning and business plans. So who is uh, qualified to seek out your services? So we primarily work with business owners or potential business owners in the Texas panhandle. We can work with anyone from across the nation, but our primary market's the panhandle. So let's suppose someone has this crazy idea and it was uh, scribbled onto a paper napkin the night before at a bar or something. What do you do to help them? And do you ever discourage someone or do you always provide encouragement? You know, my personal style is um, when I'm working with an entrepreneur, I'm here to encourage them to find the answer. My goal is to give them the tools to decide what will and won't work for them. I'm not here to, to make the answer for them. Um, so really the first thing that I do with any client that comes in that has a new idea or maybe they even want to expand is do cash flow projections. You know, if I'm doing a narrative with them with a business plan, I've got leeway to massage that. I can make that say whatever I want, but numbers are numbers. They speak for themselves and that's something that helps the entrepreneur make the decision. How difficult is it to start a business here in Texas? And what are the different types of businesses or formats that are available? It's almost too easy to start a business in Texas sometimes. I think that's one of the reasons why you see this proliferation of small businesses. And we have such wonderful ones in the panhandle. Um, for most people, unless they're doing something that involves specific licensing, um, it's a matter of filing a form with the county clerk's office, spending about $20 to do that. You may need a free sales tax ID, and then you're officially in business in Texas. We don't have a, a general license like some states prefer. Um, a lot of the clients that we work with, they come in, and we may initially get them set up as a sole proprietor or a general partnership. But once they're ready to expand or if they're doing something that carries with it some significant liability, that's when we start talking about an LLC and making sure that their personal assets are protected. What types of new businesses have you helped form in recent years? Boy, we get a little bit of everything. Um, so I live in Canyon. And so just by default, I get most of the Canyon clients. Um, our confidentiality rules don't always allow me to tell you who we've worked with, but I can tell you if you go take a stroll around the square in Canyon, pretty much all of those are clients that we've gotten to work with. So incredibly rewarding to be able to work with people who are my neighbors and my friends in stores where I actually go shop on the weekends and purchase things. Um, in general, we've seen a lot of food service in the Texas Panhandle lately. We've seen a lot of food trucks popping up, and I think that's probably a result of COVID. It really pushed them to do that. We've got a lot more food manufacturing than most people realize. Um, coffee shops. We've seen a lot of coffee shops, uh, a couple of medical clinics that we've worked with lately, engineers, daycares. It really is all across the board. I'm an eternal optimist. Um, one doesn't fail in business or other ventures. One simply fails to try. But not everyone is going to succeed, at least in a financial sense, at, at everything they try. There are lessons to be learned along the way, even if they lose everything in the process. How do you coach people on this very real possibility? Oh, and it really all goes back to those cash flow projections that we talked about. That's the first thing that we want to do. It's actually my favorite thing to do in the office. And you've known me for a long, long time. You might remember that finance, um, that was the only class that I ever got a C in. Everything else was A's and B's. 
Cash flow is actually my favorite thing to do in the office now because it's like working on a puzzle with a client. You get to take these pieces that they bring to you, revenue and expense estimates, and you get to work on all this and plug it in where it belongs. And you get to see kind of a finished jigsaw puzzle in the end and help them use that to decide, is this going to work or not? What are the traits of an entrepreneur? Um, obviously, not everyone is cut out to be one. And and so they, including myself, wind up working for someone else for their entire life. But there is that special class of people who want to work only for themselves. And it's clear that they're cut from a very different cloth. How is that cloth different from everyone else? Yeah, you know, I think you first have to to recognize the difference in small business owners and entrepreneurs. And when you see our marketing materials for the SBDC, you'll actually see me use both of those terms together because in my mind, they're very different. You have a small business owner who perhaps inherited a business or they might have started something that they really don't have plans to scale. They're just there to serve the community. And then on the, the other end of that scale, you have the people who are the true entrepreneurs. And I think those are the ones that we're talking about. Those are the ones who are innovative and disruptive in the market. Their whole goal is to do something new that they scale, they turn around and they sell it and they start all over again. That's their model. That's the way they work. Um, they're definitely not just risk averse. Some of them actually seek it out because it's part of that disruptive model. You have to seek out risk to be able to do that. Um, they're definitely not afraid to surround themselves with people who have talents that are different than their own but complementary uh, because that's their whole goal is to grow that business and they have to be humble enough to recognize that to be successful in anything you've got to surround yourself with people who have different skills and they're really exceptional leaders again going back to that wanting to scale the business they recognize that investing in their team and growing their team pays off for them in the long run. So some of the best leaders that I've ever had the pleasure of working with have been those entrepreneurs who had some wild and crazy ideas. Starting a business is one thing, but what if they need some help with basic market research and information gathering? Uh, what kinds of assistance can you provide in this department? I mean, there's a lot of information and knowledge that anyone needs before blindly launching a business whose idea was hatched on a night out with friends. I mean, do you include things like secondary data, data that's already been collected by someone else, or do you help them with primary data collection like a survey? Sure, both. Um, so one of the things that I have appreciated most about SBDC is we actually have access to a couple of offices that will pull research for us. And this isn't just run-of-the-mill research. This is stuff like we used uh, as a student that I used with you, databases that cost tens of thousands of dollars to access. We can access those for free on behalf of clients. So we can pull data that was um, run nationally for all kinds of market and industry research, census data. If you've ever tried to pull your own census reports, you probably figured out real quick that you need a special degree to do that, basically. It is so overwhelming trying to use those databases, and we can pull that together for them. But then we've also got some business owners who are maybe doing something unique, and it just doesn't quite fit in that model of the existing research. We'll absolutely work with them, you know, hand in hand and figure out how do we go about, you know, walking through the mall and pulling people on what do you think is this idea? But we'll help them put that together. 
You mentioned uh, consulting services. What types of consulting do you provide? Sure. So all of our consulting is one-on-one with clients at their request. They get to decide when those meetings are set, and it's really client-driven. It's whatever they need help with for the business. Um, Our consulting is technical in nature most of the time. So they may be coming in for the cash flow, the business plans. Maybe they don't understand, how do I get a sales tax ID? How do I pay sales tax? Do I need a business license? But it's those things that are technical in nature. um, And everything that we do is confidential. That's why you and I have have already discussed it. We have some incredible clients that we're so proud of. I don't always get to tell those stories. Those are theirs to tell. At what point is a small business no longer really small and therefore outside the scope of your organization? Oh, the the official, very general answer from the Small Business Administration, we use that 500 employees rule. But frankly, if you call me up and you need help with something, I'm not asking you how many employees you have. If we can help you and give back to the community, that's what we're here to do. And we do have some clients that we've worked with in the past and they've scaled and they're probably not technically small anymore. But if there's some kind of research that we're able to pull for them that helps them grow, we're absolutely not going to decline that. How does the Amarillo SBDC fit in at the national level. You, you mentioned the, the previous director taking a promotion. Um, surely there are many other cities have similar such uh, support systems, right? Sure. So the, the SBDC is actually a national program that the Small Business Administration started in the late 70s, and it was started hand-in-hand with state universities. Um, They'd had a pilot program and they realized that there were small business owners in the United States who really needed that technical assistance, but they don't have the cash flow always to go out and hire a private consultant. So they ran a pilot program with some universities and found that there was a real need from it, Uh, took off, and there is now an SBDC that is assigned to every single part of the United States, including Puerto Rico and the Virgin Islands. We have tried to get them to have our annual SBDC conference in the Virgin Islands every year, and they have not gone for that yet. Uh, But all of our centers have a certain service area that we're really supposed to focus on. Ours, of course, is the Texas Panhandle. And to my knowledge, and I've been doing this for almost 15 years now, our service area here is actually the largest in the United States. If you took uh, New Hampshire, Connecticut, and Massachusetts and combined them, our service area here would still be larger than that. It's significant. You also mentioned workshops and seminars. What kinds of these do you host? Sure. So our workshops are, and this is my own preference, they're very focused on skills for small business owners. I don't think there's anything worse than them having to take time away from their business to go sit and hear me just talk about something. My goal for them is that when they leave those workshops, you've learned a new skill that you can implement to help grow your business right away. Um, So actually, as we speak right now, there's a QuickBooks class being taught in the office. Um, A week from today, we'll follow up with that with payroll. Uh, We've got a couple of new workshops that we're launching. One we're calling Blueprint, and we're doing that in conjunction with our sister department, the WT Enterprise Center. Um, That Blueprint program walks people through the business model canvas to help with that ideation and determine, is my idea something viable or the things that I need to change about it? Um, We are uh, hopefully buying licensing for the co-starters 
curriculum. And our goal with that is to really launch that in rural areas. I mentioned that our service area is massive, but what I have not mentioned is that I have two consultants to service that entire area. So it's really hard to reach the rural areas. So that program will be launched there. Uh, we've got some procurement events that we do. We actually, in a couple of weeks, have the head of procurement for TechStot coming here to meet with small business owners. And I mean, that's so cool. How often do small business owners get the chance to meet with the head of purchasing for TechStot and hopefully do business with them? So we're able to bring those people to town. We're doing some workshops in Spanish, some stuff with food manufacturing. We have Entrepreneur Law School in the fall where you get to come and meet with attorneys and ask questions. This morning, I just wrapped up a meeting for a workplace mental health and culture learning community. So we're kind of all over the board. I think that's safe to say. And then we've got some special events that we do as well. Um, one that we're really excited about this spring is one what we're doing with Enterprise Center and College of Business. And it's one that the dean really wanted to see for our two departments where we are working one-on-one -on -one with those business owners to be able to bring that experience to students here who are maybe enrolled in the small business and entrepreneurship track and let them get experience. So it's an internship program that is only for College of Business students, and we will match them up with small business owners who need the skills that the students are learning in your classes here in College of Business, but also the students are going to be able to learn some really valuable skills about entrepreneurship that you just can't learn in the classroom. So that'll be in April. So what are the metrics used to um, judge the success of your office? I mean, is it job creation or something else? So we do have metrics that we have to hit every year. We've got to have a certain number of consulting hours, a certain number of jobs created, and a certain amount of capital created. And thankfully, we don't ever have a problem hitting that because we've got such a massive area. And I'm especially thankful for that because the consultants are really able to handle that side of things with clients. And it frees me up to do these things like recruitable. Um, I didn't mention uh, working with the dean in the fall. We're going to do some big women's awards with the governor's office. But those are things that I'm able to do, thankfully, because the consultants are, they're holding down the fort. And how many jobs were created in Amarillo last year by virtue of your hard work? Last year was right around 200 um, I actually looked at our average since the center started in the late 80s and just what clients have reported, and that's probably a third or maybe a fourth of the real number, is 8,000. So I think it's a significant contribution to the local economy. After the break, we'll look back at how COVID affected small businesses locally, how Gina and the SBDC helped them, and some survival stories. The economy always leading in the daily news, it's no secret that there is a shortage of professionals who understand what's going on in this world. The Master of Science in Finance and Economics prepares the next generation of thought leaders who know how to prepare institutions and companies for the great unknown. Whether you seek employment in business, government, or as an instructor, the MSFE will ground you in all the theory and show you how to put it into practice. Demand meets supply at the corner of finance and economics. It's no mistake that our MSFE is consistently rated as one of the strongest in the nation. We're ACSB accredited and among the most elite of business schools around the world. Reach for the stars and do it with a WT MSFE in hand. Waivers are offered for the GMAT. For more information, 
find us at wtamu.edu slash cob or call 806-651-2500. From the Texas Panhandle to the world, we're here to help you reach those stars. It all seems like such a long time ago now, but only three years have passed since we found ourselves in the midst of a global pandemic. And we all know what happened. Life came to a screeching halt, and many businesses, unless they were deemed essential, were shuttered. Unfortunately, many small businesses were they were just basically not prepared for something this drastic, and they didn't have websites, much less apps for ordering items, nor mechanisms for curbside pickup or delivery. What did the Amarillo SBDC do during COVID to help our small businesses survive? You know, we we really had to shift the way that we were working with clients. They were coming in for help with recovery, of course, and I would be happy if I never heard the, the letters PPP and idle again. We worked on that around the clock, and I'm so thankful that we were able to help with that. But really what we had to realize was that we had to shift our approach with people. They were coming in for what they thought was this technical assistance, and I would get them in my office and sit them down and realized that they were incredibly lonely in this process. They don't always have business partners. They may have a spouse in the business or even outside the business. They don't want to talk about these kinds of stressful things. They, they were worried about their business shutting down. How am I going to feed my kids? And during COVID, so many of those clients that would come in once we were back open would just come sit down and you would start hearing their story and the tears would start flowing and so we really had to be almost more like counselors than consultants for a while. And I sure would not want to go back and relive, especially those first few months. But I'm, to this day, I'm so grateful that we were able to, to be there and to support those small business owners like, like they needed and deserved. It was an incredible experience. And you know, I'm also really thankful for the staff that we had, especially at the time, they were absolute rock stars, you know, just like the businesses had to completely change their models overnight. We did as well and had to shift all of our operations online. And the consultants worked. We all worked around the clock meeting with clients. And then I had staff that were putting together graphics and information about PPP and IDLE because the stuff was just coming at us like a fire hose. And some of the stuff that they put together was so high quality and actually ended up going viral nationwide. So just to be able to know that we helped that many people was so incredibly rewarding. Are there any particular stories that you can share, uh, while respecting privacy, of course, of specific struggles that you witnessed? You know, I'll tell you a couple of stories. So when the governor shut everything down, it was spring break and the staff was all off. Of course, we follow WT's holiday schedule. And so I had tried to take over our, our email and phones as best as I could because I had I had some idea of what was coming and certainly couldn't anticipate um, how severe it was going to be. But there's one memory that I don't think I'll ever forget, and it was one night during spring break, and I was trying to keep up with these emails, and we had a way to um, switch the SBDC phones over to our cell phones, and just, you know, for the heck of it, 
I had gone ahead and done that. And it's almost midnight. And I'm sitting in my living room and I'm, I'm trying to get all of this together because I know the staff's going to come back and it's going to be absolute hell. I had a pretty good indication. And my phone rings and it's midnight. And I pick it up and I answer it. And it's this man on the other end of the line, just almost hysterical because I think he knows the same thing that I know. He kind of knows what's coming. And it was really that phone call is what made me realize what we were going to have to do over the next few months because I, at, at midnight, am sitting in my living room talking to this man. I can't help him. There's not been anything. There's been no PPP rolled out yet. There's no idol available. And he's trying to figure out not so much how to keep his business open. He's trying to figure out how he's going to keep a roof over his family's head and how he's going to feed his kids. And that's what it really hit me what we were going to be working with over the next few months. But I won't ever forget his phone call. And what about successes? I mean, do you have any great stories of survival or even better yet, somebody prospering during such a hard time? Because there were companies that actually rose to the occasion and did exceedingly well because they were able to turn on a dime and they were ready. Mm -hmm. There was, and there's quite a few successes, I think, that came out of COVID, as odd as that seems. One of my very favorite stories um, is a client that we'd worked in the past, Marcy Ray. She owns Marcella's Furs here in Amarillo. Um, and during COVID, you all probably remember people kind of went back to the basics and we got into bread making and knitting and crocheting, those kinds of things. And Marcy kept seeing people come into her store to buy little little fur poofs that go on the end of hats that you would knit. You probably know what I'm talking about. And realized that there was really a demand for some upscale products for that knitting and crocheting. And so she started ordering these things. And as people kept coming in and coming in, they just organically formed this community. And they began coming into her store and they would knit and crochet together. And before you knew it, they had this community where they would fellowship and they would pray with each other and help each other. And such an incredible thing to see. And through that, she continues to be busy with it. She's actually opened up a completely separate business, kept that community together, and that's what she focuses on in that business is providing the all of the supplies that you need to crochet and knit while keeping those people together who've become like family. I know that some businesses, especially bars, had to be very creative to remain open. They, they did whatever it took to be able to say that 51% of their business was non-alcohol, which was often a bit of a stretch. But, you know, with a little creativity, they could be classified as a restaurant, I guess. Uh, and some, to that end, tried to install a, a commercial kitchen so they could offer food. But a kitchen that passes the food inspector is not exactly cheap. You know, you've got to have three-basin sink. You've got to have a, a lot of different things. It's not like you just put a stove or a microwave in and call it good. What kinds of creative solutions did you see during COVID? I, I'm always impressed when a business, no matter the size, can truly pivot during hard times. And I'm, I'm sure you pretty much saw everything. Oh, we absolutely did. I think some of the best innovation, as you already mentioned, what we saw came from food service. 
Uh, we actually saw a huge up um, intake in uh, food trucks as a result of COVID. We've got a lot more of those in the Amarillo area. But what really sticks out for me is how COVID helped, um, in particular, our small businesses in rural communities. It forced them out of their shell and it forced them to learn to do new things. And one of the things that some of them started offering that they still do to this day because it worked was delivery to local clients. Um, it's something that's relatively inexpensive, but it kind of provided that experience for buyers, something that they remembered. It made them feel special. Um, and a lot of them, they really do continue to do it to this day. So what did you and the SBDC learn as a result of COVID with regard to small businesses? I don't know if we learned it or if we already knew it. And it was just something that we got to witness over and over firsthand was just how willing people in the Texas panhandle in particular are to step up and help each other. And I don't just mean your neighbor. Sometimes it was helping a competitor. They realized that it was a difficult time for everybody. And I really don't know that COVID hit quite as hard here as everybody feels like it does. Um, we have a survey that we do every year with the FDIC that goes out to small businesses all across West Texas. And about 50% of those respondents actually said that they saw an increase in revenue during COVID. So we had some people doing some things right for sure. And what kinds of advice are you giving out now that you didn't give before the pandemic? What we are really, really focusing on is making sure that they've got multiple revenue streams. I mean, it doesn't necessarily have to be multiple businesses. What I really want clients to look at, and I put together a whole workshop around this, is looking at the assets that you have right now. And let's figure out ways that you can make money in different ways with those assets that doesn't cost you anything extra. But keep that revenue diverse just in case, heaven forbid, we should have another pandemic. We lost some good business friends during COVID, though. Is, is there a chance any of them might be able to stage a comeback? Or was the pandemic simply too much for them to overcome? No, I think those businesses that we lost, they've got the entrepreneurial bug. Um, some of them have some financial difficulties that they're working to overcome just because of the shutdown. But once you have that bug, you don't lose it. What's the future of small business in Amarillo? We'll find out when we return. The MBA is the most popular graduate degree in the United States and with good reason. It leads to better jobs, promotions, and salary increases. At the Paul and Virginia Engler College of Business at West Texas A&M University, our MBA program is entirely online for when you're ready to make that move. With as few as 31 credit hours and specializations offered in five areas, you can fast track your career in as little as 18 months. Whether you're looking for promotion or initial job placement, you'll stand head and shoulders above the competition. And because we've been teaching online since 1997, we're not the new kids on the block. Trust your education and career to dedicated faculty who are not only experts in their fields, but also old pros in the online arena. Our consistently high rankings say it all. A GMAT waiver is available. We're AA CSB accredited and among the most elite of business schools around the world. Reach for the stars and do it with a WT MBA in hand. For more information, find us at wtamu.edu slash cob or call 806-651-2500. From the Texas Panhandle to the world, 
We're here to help you reach those stars. We have all heard the impassioned pleas to shop local and how it will benefit employment as well as tax revenues. Of course, it's not always easy to do this, uh, especially in our increasingly online world. If anything, it's become increasingly difficult not to shop online or even at corporate chains with local shops by virtue of perceived value. And it is this value proposition that drives all shoppers, yet is different for each one. For some people, price is the, you know, the primary driver, but that doesn't work for everybody. For others, sometimes it's simply convenience or product selection, quality, whatever it is that compels them to shop where they do. What does the SBDC do to help small businesses increase their top-of-mind presence among local consumers? Because calls to the heart can only go so far, especially with inflation running high and chains as well as online vendors presenting a formidable threat to the viability of any small business. Oh, you're right on the buddy. You know, if you have eggs for breakfast this week, it may cost you $50. Those are things that we have to be thinking about. For one, we are actively discouraging clients from competing using pricing. They will never, ever win that battle. Walmart will always win that battle, and that's okay. Let them win that battle. Um, And that's another workshop that we've had to put together just because of COVID to show people when you have a product. What we see right now is the default is to try to reduce expenses there's somehow this guilt that they feel for increasing prices. Their customers have become like their family, but trying to show them that there's a difference in your net income when you look at increasing prices versus decreasing expenses. Um, But some of the other things that we're doing are things that you taught me. So I'm not going to teach you anything new here. Um, One is really thinking about how small businesses can provide that immediate gratification to shoppers that somebody online just can't do. Amazon has things that I like and it might be cheaper, but if you can show me something that I really want and convince me that I need that right now, I am willing to drive down the street and buy that and I'm absolutely going to spend more on that. Um, And thinking about what we all really want as consumers, whether we're actively thinking about it or not. We all want to know how can you make my life easier? How is it that you can solve a problem for me? If you could solve a problem for me and take something off of my plate, I know I'm willing to pay a premium for that and I'm glad to buy that locally. Um, And really the third thing that I've been looking at with my clients is how can you as a small business owner provide an experience to a shopper? Because that's something that no big box and no online seller can do very well. They cannot do that like a small business owner. So it could be anything from how are you packaging your items? Are you giving me something that's beautifully wrapped that I get to have an actual experience, something memorable when I open that? Or maybe you're giving me an experience in the store. Do I get to go in there and do some kind of activity? An activity is not something that I get to do with Amazon. So staying away from price and really focusing on what are the things that you have the advantage that you could do locally. And how are Amarillo small businesses faring these days? I mean, are they are they weathering the storm? Inflation's been, you know, pretty brutal the last couple of years. Are they upping their value proposition? Absolutely. Inflation has definitely hit them. Uh, But because our program is national, I have the benefit 
of getting to hear from my peers from all across the nation and hear firsthand how their areas are doing. And I can tell you that our area, I think, is probably doing better than any other in the nation. And it's kind of mirroring what we saw in 2008 with the recession. Was the panhandle hit then and was the panhandle hit now? Absolutely. There's no doubt about that. But because we have such a diverse economy, we've got medical care, we have agriculture, we have manufacturing, and those are all things that have to go on regardless of COVID. I still have to eat and I still have to go to the doctor and I'm going to spend that money. That in turn gets circulated in the economy and supports small business. So there have certainly been struggles and I, I don't want to, to make it sound like there have not been, but overall we're doing very well. So Gina, what are your thoughts on the next five years in Amarillo? Um, do you think we will see more or fewer small businesses emerge? And I, I guess really what I'm asking is, are you are you bullish on Amarillo? 100%. I expect that we're going to see um, an increase in small businesses all across the panhandle, not just in Amarillo. Um, they have, we've seen small businesses work on getting around the issues with inflation and kind of a lack in the availability of workforce by automating some tasks and streamlining operations. So they're making things work. Um, but I, even though my role here with WT is to work with small businesses and support them, I am a huge, huge fan of the big businesses that we have here locally. I think the two are very much codependent to have successful small businesses you need the large businesses. They bring the big payrolls to town. They have people that want to travel not just at Amarillo. They want to travel across the panhandle for experiences, and they have money to spend. I'm sure that you've kept up with all that the Amarillo EDC is doing. I am Kevin Carter's biggest fan. I love everything that he's bringing to town because what he's bringing is in turn going to spur the need and startup of more small businesses in the panhandle. Personally, I think it's a great time to be opening small businesses because we've got the benefit of technology right in our hands. Uh, and, and Amarillo sits at, at the intersection of numerous uh, major highways, interstates and U.S. highways that shuttle people in all kinds of directions. I mean, I know it's been kind of joked about that we're a truck stop town, but, oh, it's much more than that. We um, have people coming and going on vacation. They're, I don't know many people in America that I've met who haven't been to spray paint a Cadillac or had a big stake on the east side of town. They all know about Amarillo. But the nice thing is today, since we have smartphones, I'll tell you what I do when I'm coming into a town that I don't really know the lay of the land. I just get on Google Maps and say, Thai near me. And it tells me where all the Thai restaurants are. And they're all small. I mean, you could do the same for any category of business. And I would never be able to do that even, say, 15 years ago. And so it makes it easier for small businesses to be found. Absolutely. One of my favorite things to work on with clients, if they've got a business where we feel like they've got a draw from travelers, whether they're just coming from Amarillo or across the U.S., is to make sure that we actually get them on Instagram. Whenever I'm traveling, and you mentioned Thai food, one of my very favorite things to eat, I'll go on Instagram and I'll type in whatever town I'm going to, Canyon TX, 
And I want to see the pictures of the Thai food that come up. I want to see what it is that people recommend. That app alone is how I figure out where I'm going to go for entertainment and food when I'm traveling. So what macro pressures do you see playing a role these days? I mean, this could include everything from the interest rates, which have been pretty much keeping pace with inflation by design, but still, I mean, they're out there. Uh, low unemployment, uh, rising minimum wages, um, any of these, what what are the macro pressures that are playing a big role now? Sure. So I mentioned that FDIC uh, survey that we do every year. And so I, I pulled data straight from the business owners. You don't have to hear it from me. And the top thing that they're worried about right now is actually supply chain. Hopefully, over the last year, that's gotten a little bit better. I think it has. Uh, but 60% of the respondents indicated that that was a major concern for them. Um, about a third of them said employment. So it's hiring new staff and even trying to retain staff. Um, they're in positions now where they're jumping around a lot, taking new jobs. So they've really got to focus on ways to make sure that they've got a positive culture and are giving back to employees to be able to keep them. Um, and, you know, we like to talk about our low unemployment rate in Texas, which is about 3% right now. And, oh, it does sound so great. But when you're on the other side of that table and you're the employer who's trying to hide, who's trying to hire, 3% is an absolute nightmare. There's just no one in the market right now. So it's a real concern. Is there any specific type of new small business you think that Amarillo needs? I mean, do we need more mom-and-pop restaurants or retail manufacturing. And I guess I could also throw in, are there some specific aspects of Amarillo, like maybe available land or abundance of a certain skill or whatever, that could also play a big role in forming new small businesses? Well, I'm glad you mentioned the land. One of the things that I think we have not taken advantage of across the panhandle like we could be is agritourism. Um, I know you like to frequent uh, Creek House Honey Farm, as do I. I would absolutely love to see more of those businesses across the panhandle that are taking advantage of the resources that they already have, the, the land and the animals, and using that to both educate and provide entertainment to, to those of us who may just live right down the road and want to go down and get some mead or people who live across the country and want to stop by for that mead. Um, we could probably use some more family-centric activities, but again, that ties into the agritourism. Um, you know, my son now is, he'll be 12 uh, this weekend. He loves to go do those things, those outdoor activities. I remember when I was young, going to the putt-putt place on Western, and we just don't have a lot of that anymore. We could definitely use it. Overall, though, what we really need, and not just at Amarillo across the panhandle, and this is very broad, but it's more service-based businesses. Um, we need more mental health care practitioners um, at all levels, but in particular, we need more counselors. We've got a huge shortage, and that's a quality of life issue. If we're going to recruit and keep people here in the area, we need to be able to provide those services to them or they will leave. Um, and then something else that we're seeing as the city is growing, as a lot of our cities in the panhandle are actually growing, is a need for housing. Dr. G, if you want to start a construction business today, or if you're an electrician, a plumber, a roofer, like we can make you a millionaire. 
Um, there is so much demand for that right now. And really, especially in those rural areas, because at Amarillo, you know, we have the beaten bows who've got their system down. We've got other builders who know what they're doing, but we're keeping them busy at Amarillo and Canyon because we're growing ourselves. There's an incredible shortage of people with these skill sets in rural areas. These EDCs are buying land. They've put in all the infrastructure. All you have to do is go out and build. But why would you leave Amarillo and Canyon when you have all the business here that you can handle? So if you could learn how to, to hammer some nails and build a house, we can put you in business. Is there anything we need less of, or are those words never spoken in your office? Oh, I don't know that I would necessarily say less of, but I was actually looking at a market report this morning. Um, and there, are, so I was kind of surprised to see this. There's actually a two point decrease in apparel spending right now. So that's something that I would definitely dig into if I was working with a client that wanted to open a boutique and figure out is it inflation or what is it that's causing that? Yeah, it's it. I tell my students that discretionary expenses have kind of been kicked down the road and even some necessary expenses uh, so they can buy those expensive eggs, you know. Agree, agree. I think that would be what's happening. Well, I'm, I, I know you stay on top of population trends and so forth. In, in the 34 years that I've been here, which is beginning to feel like a long time now, Amarillo has only grown about one-third from uh, 152,000 to about 201,000. That's not exactly a rapid rate of growth, and much of that came from people leaving smaller panhandle towns and moving here. What do you see happening in the years ahead in our population? Sure. You know, as I mentioned earlier, I am fortunate to have the ability to get out of the office and meet with partners and see new things and keep up with what's going on. A couple of things that are going on across the panhandle. One is in our rural areas and towns where we have lost people. A lot of that is actually because they don't have good broadband access and they're not able to work. They're not able to access education. And there are a couple of widespread initiatives uh, that are about to be launched to bring broadband to those communities. And I really think that's going to help with retention as well as recruitment. Uh, during COVID, we realized that, hey, those, those rural areas aren't so bad. They're actually wonderful places to be wonderful places to raise a family, and we're not that far from the Amarillo Metro for shopping. So hopefully that helps with our uh, losses in the rural areas. Um, I sat in a couple of meetings last week. One, the uh, governor's office was in, and they said that they have actually seen a huge uptick in site selector requests from people um, who not just want to come to Texas, They've been doing that for a long time, but if it's always the I-35 corridor, they get all the attention. They've actually, since COVID, they're really seeing a huge uptick, uptick in people who are specifically requesting to bring their companies to West Texas and to the Panhandle. They want to come and look at those sites. So I think that you'll see a lot more big companies, hopefully those headquarters relocating here. Um, and then just really a lot of what the AEDC is doing. I was talking with some of them last week, and they said that they are busier than ever right now. They usually have a lull over the holiday season. Like you and I were talking about earlier with the SBDC, neither of us have seen that. We continue to be incredibly busy. So, no, I'm not at all worried about uh, population growth going down. If anything, it's going to go up. Throughout the years, I have taught that Amarillo's trade areas shape 
a lot like a giant egg with Amarillo near the, the center bottom. Uh, the trade area extends to roughly crest to the south. South of there, they're going to go to Lubbock. Uh, it extends to Tucumcari to the west. Once you get beyond Tucumcari, they just go to Albuquerque. Uh, Shamrock on the east, and once you go beyond that, then you gravitate toward uh, Oklahoma City. But to the north, hypothetically, it could stretch almost all the way to the North Pole. But realistically, you know, it kind of stop somewhere around southeast Colorado, the Oklahoma Panhandle, and southwest Kansas. Um, I can I can go to the shopping mall on any weekend and see license plates from five states. Uh, and that's not unusual uh, because people come to town. We're the largest market uh, for many miles, for many people. What kinds of things do you see out-of-town shoppers coming to Amarillo for? Oh, we do have that very distinct advantage of being, we're somewhat isolated in the Panhandle, but Amarillo has the advantage of being that major metro area for shoppers all across those states. And a lot of them are coming to town. When they come, they're going to the big box stores. If I live in a rural area, of course, I'm going to go to Sam's and I'm going to stock up on things while I'm there. But they're also coming for medical care. Um, our rural communities are really seeing a shortage in medical providers. It goes back to those service providers that we talked about. We need middle health care. We need construction workers, but we also need doctors and we need nurses. So they're coming pretty regularly for that. And then when they're in town, that's when they do their shopping, thankfully. Um, and they will absolutely hit up some small businesses, especially those that have some kind of a specialty um, farm implement stores, things that they really need and cannot buy locally. Our guest today has been Gina Woodward, Regional Director at America's SBDC in Amarillo and a graduate of the College of Business. Give us your best shot, Gina. Uh, it's my two favorite words, what we live by at the SBDC and Enterprise Center and in my own life, and it's serve others. At the end of the day, that is one of the greatest privileges in life. You've been listening to Buff Speak from the Paul and Virginia Angler College of Business at West Texas A&M University. Our executive producer is Justin Lovell, and Allison Hunter is our associate producer. Our co-editors are Maverick Evans and Paul Torres. Lindsay Bjork is our director of marketing and outreach initiatives, which includes overseeing Buff Speak. Dr. Jeffrey Babb is director of accreditation and is our technical consultant. Finally, Dr. Amjad Abdullah is Dean of the College. You can find us online at wtamu.edu slash cob for more information about our programs. Be sure to check out our many academic offerings. Come for the quality, stay for the small classes, affordable tuition, and friendly approachable professors. And look online at our faculty blog, profspeak.com, for more insights. You can listen to BuffSpeak on your favorite podcast portal, as well as on our website, buffspeak.biz. And if you like what you've been hearing, don't be afraid to share us with your friends, colleagues, and family. Word of mouth has always been the best form of advertising. Until next time, love one another. For the Paul and Virginia Angler College of Business at West Texas A&M University, I am Dr. Nick Gerlich. And as always, go Buffs! Buff speak.